love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura, and I am joined by the birthday girl, Alyssa Gadeski. Happy birthday. It's a, okay. By the time this airs, it's a few days late, but I haven't seen you since your birthday, even virtually. And I know you had a big day and you celebrated like any great triathlete by I think doing a big smash fest training day. So tell me, how was it? Yes, Haley. So it was, it was good. It, um, I'm officially 36 now, which like even saying that I can't even believe it. I just, I feel so young at heart still. And 36 is very young. Don't get me wrong. But, um, I, I actually had, I had a big training day by coincidence of the fact that it was my last big weekend of training before Ironman Coeur d'Alene. So I, I literally did the same training I did the Sunday prior. It was just that now this this Sunday was my birthday Sunday, so it became a birthday workout. But um, you know, we actually didn't kind of mess anything up or move training or add training or whatever just for the birthday. It just worked out that I was going to be exercising most of the day anyway. So I guess uh, my coach Hillary Biscay felt that that sufficed for my my birthday workout. But um, I did know Haley. I will say that. I wasn't going to have time on Sunday because of the exercising to like make a cake. And I, I love you guys. I love funfetti cake, like that boxed funfetti vanilla with the sprinkles in the mix and then vanilla with the sprinkles on top. They used to have funfetti icing that was vanilla with like chunks in mixed into the icing instead of just sprinkles on top. Oh, I do remember. And they had those little balls. <gasps> if they do, they're not widely available because they I haven't been able to find them in recent years and it's really frustrating. So you have to kind of just settle for the funfetti in the, in the mix and then the sprinkles on top, which is fine. But it's not the same. If anyone ever knows what happened to that icing with those confetti balls in the icing, let me know. But anyway, so I made that cake on Thursday, Haley, because, and it was Whoa. perfectly timed because you it lasted. really ahead. I know. <laughs> it, it lasted until Sunday? It did. It did. It did. Well, I think we also kind of like knew it how? had to last how? until Sunday. I mean, because... how do you not, how do you savor it? I mean, that's I... patience. Well, it's only, I mean, two people and we had a, plenty of other food in the house. So I think, again, I think we were trying to make sure it lasted a couple pieces left on Sunday. And then, but anyway, so that was the cake situation. And then my training day that was my birthday training was a 100 mile ride. So I had a big brick on Saturday. Sunday was supposed to be an easy one. <laughs> easy 100 mile ride because you know as 100 miles go the um you can make them easy right so i'm saying that like sarcastically guys don't worry um but it just meant uh you know i didn't have to do intervals i could basically let like how my legs felt dictate the ride in a way like i just had to pedal for 100 miles um and then i had a a swim easy in the after that to kind of shake out and so Haley, I kind of like did it to myself because it was up to me to plan the route and I could have planned a pancake flat 100 mile route and just like spun and been done like boom on the day had some more birthday time but I got it in my head 
that I wanted to climb Mount Escutney. And because it's like a mountain nearby and people, I heard they like had a bike race up it and people ride bikes up it, right? So I should have done some more investigation before I planned the route, but luckily, uh, or maybe Matt should have just like checked into it too, but he was just happy to be along for the ride. And so we, I had this whole route planned. We were going to climb Mount Escutney 30 miles in then do the rest. And it was just, you know, this beautiful planned out route. Haley, Mount Escutney is quite a climb on the bicycle. I think, I honestly think it could be, I mean, granted, I'm assuming I was tired on Sunday, but I it might be the hardest climb I've ever done on my bike, Whoa. at least for sure on my tri bike. Um, how long and was, how steep? It's three and a half miles. And I think if you like Google it, it says an average grade of 12%. Whew. Um, Ouch. and it, it was just really hard. I mean, the, if you look at Strava, the queen of the mountain time, I think from the bike race from a professional cyclist is 29 minutes. And, so I don't know what I was expecting to do, but like I, it took us 40, I think 43 minutes. Someone can check me on that. It's on Strava if you want, but, um, it felt like the longest 43 minutes of my life. Haley, I didn't think I was going to actually make it up at one point. Did you have to and like so... get off your bike and walk it? <laughs> no. Well, I was determined not to do that because I was like, oh my God, I was like embarrassed for myself, which is like ridiculous because it's Were like, you like, I decided that I needed to climb this mountain on my birthday. So like, <laughs> I have to do it successfully, right? Like this is so like arbitrary and silly, but I like, I also didn't want to just call it off because I was like, then we're going to have to tack, tack miles on to the end of the ride. Like this is ridiculous. So, and the poor Matt doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't wear gloves, um, usually when we're riding. And so. I mean, his, and he doesn't have bar tape on because he like doesn't want the weight of the bar tape on his bike, right? So, um, I mean, we were so sweaty. I still have no idea how he made it up because if I wasn't wearing gloves, I definitely would not have made it up, but I have no idea how he's able to grip his bars for the climbing that we did. Um, but it was beautiful from the top, I have to say. The descent was also not my favorite, so. Yeah, descending I, three and a <laughs> half miles at 12 and a half percent is yeah. not. That's a, that is legit. I'm trying to think of like, what is the grade on like Kit Peak in Tucson? Is that close, like near the top, closest 12%? Near, so it felt like at times, actually, I was like, this does feel like Kit Peak at times here. Um, okay. Like that, that harder like portion at the top, kind yeah. of, once you get, um, but it luckily it was shaded for a lot of it so that helped and again it was like really beautiful at the top but i don't think i think it's meant to be climbed on road bikes i would i would go again on a road bike for sure well, happy Not on birthday. a tri bike with a happy birthday to you. Confetti yeah, so. <laughs> cake well earned. Mm-hmm. And you know, those hills in Coeur d'Alene will feel like nothing after that. You can just uh, be like, oh, I mean, if you're going faster than like 12 minutes per mile, you're going to feel like you're flying. <laughs> it was. So, you know, that feeling when you like are on like a moving sidewalk and then you get on the regular road and you like feel it, it felt like that difference from when we got off of that mountain and started going on the regular roads and like hitting some hills. I was like, I feel like we're just like flying up this, like this pavement feels so smooth. This is like so nice. Right. So that lasted for at least a little bit longer. Um, but it was fun. We had really great weather and I can see why people talk about that new new England summer weather. I think we, we got some of that this weekend. So it was really, really nice to have that. Um, and Haley, the fact that I just had my birthday means that your birthday is like coming up fairly soon too. So that's usually my cue um, that Haley's birthday is in like a month, right? Yeah, July 23rd. So I got a bit of a time. I got time to plan my route. 
<laughs> yeah, be, be smart. Do some research. <laughs> I know. So this is what I this is why I love talking to you every week because you give me like a one month heads up on what <laughs> what thirty six will be like. <laughs> I'm like, I, Alyssa's just one month ahead of me in life forever. So, but it, it it's to my benefit. Um, I do. Okay, Funfetti kind of reminded me of the summer of 2004 when I ate a lot of Funfetti cake while training for the U.S. Olympic trials in swimming with my friend Mary Desenza, who was like a great baker and um, and a great, great swimmer. She actually still holds the American record in the 200 fly, if you can believe it. But she, we, she loved, we, we did have the kind with the little, like with the built-in sprinkles. And I think once we did try to like, just put the sprinkles in and like mix it and it's not as good, but yeah, um, like whatever those little ball sprinkles were, that was like, yeah, that was I cute. do remember those. I can't believe, I can't believe they're not around anymore, but or maybe I'll check here and see if maybe we have a secret stash in Montana. We need, but. We need someone who made like a, a Y2K shelter, like yes. in stockpile thing, like non that I would, I would absolutely eat a tub of that. That's still alive from that era because you like, should put it in really, like your special fine. needs bag or something. <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> like if someone brings it to me in Coeur d'Alene, I will, I will do something with it on the course. I will like somehow get it out on course and do something. So if you can find that, um, yeah, you know, you know where like, to find you need it. a sponsorship, but, um, like Pillsbury or something, um, this would be fantastic. But anyway, the point of the story was that swimming Olympic trials are going on right now this week and they just started. And Alyssa, I watched last night and I'm like crying. I have chills. I, again, I'm transported right back to 2004 and oh, I just, I can't believe how bad I needed this right now in my life. Well, I was really excited to watch it last night as well because, and Haley, like in no way can I relate to like those levels of feelings because I obviously never got to go to the um, swimming Olympic trials, but um, I just, I love it. I love like everything that comes with the Olympic trials, like that, just the hopes and the dreams and watching like people just gutting themselves, right? For these spots. Like, I think it's just, it's so cool to watch like the whole the whole process is really inspiring. Um, and I did see, I did catch the 400 IM race, Haley, and there were two women in that, I, I think at least two, um, two women in the top four who swam at one time or currently swim for the University of Virginia. So I have to say that, wahoo wah. And it wait, was- Wait, wait, can I stop you? Yeah. Do you know where the other two went? Georgia? Yes! What? <laughs> Do you know where the two men who made the team went? Um, UVA and Georgia. <laughs> Just Georgia. <laughs> but um, I honestly didn't realize UVA had such a good night. I was really cheering for the dogs. But um, but that's awesome for, for Yeah, UVA that is funny. Well. I didn't see like the, UVA yeah, won I... the NCAA championship this year, the UVA women. So did you catch yeah. that? That was like, yeah. for, it was like a big, big moment for them. So congrats. So it, that was that was really fun to watch, um, and I had to turn off the diving though because that beep noise and I don't know maybe they do the beep to like quiet the crowd before someone's diving. I don't know is that a thing or there's some kind of beep that happens before someone dives, and Ramona was like very in tune to the beep and it would set her as like she doesn't like beeps so she was like having major anxiety. So we we I didn't really get to I guess I could have just muted the TV, but. Uh, well, that yeah, women's 400 IM last night was incredible. I mean, Melanie Margalis. So I swam with Melanie's older brother, Robert, at the University of Georgia. So I don't know Melanie, but it is 
it was, I mean, her race was amazing. She finished third, did not make the team, but her reaction was like, was, she was just so happy for Haley Flickinger and Emma Wayant, I think was the woman from Virginia, your, your uh, Cavalier there. She, um, you know, she was really, it was a, it was just this incredible sprint finish. I mean, the 400 IM is so much fun to watch. I swam the 400 IM in college. And it's like the lead changes so much that it's so exciting, I think. And um, this has definitely gotten me motivated for for Tokyo coming up in. And I mean, cause there's some amazing like Australian Olympic trials are happening right now. And there's been some fast swims. The Hunter back world record was just broken. Um, anyway, I just think it is it's fun to watch because it's like so fun. American record world record, like, you know, and they're, they're, I feel like they're always on pace to break the world record in the first lap. And then it's like, oh, you just like are hoping for it. It's so fun to watch. Um, and then track, like track and field, the uh, trials starts, I think maybe tomorrow night, tonight. I think it starts, this, it starts soon. Like Definitely 17? by Friday. Yeah, um, I think it's like later this week. It might be week, Thursday, Friday. Okay. By the time this podcast comes out, it'll yeah. be on. So there's a lot <laughs> to be watching and getting inspired. And I think it has, it's helped me a little bit be like, okay, you know, after a really tough year, like sports still do matter. And, you know, there is something about watching people just lay it all on the line, you know, and it, yes, it's amazing to watch people make the Olympic team, but it's also incredible to watch the the other athletes who are there who are just very, very impressive athletes. And to think about, you know, just how this is like a huge, huge moment in their athletic career and we get to witness it. And I just, oh, it's so much fun. But yeah, so I think, yeah, we have a couple more days by the time this comes out. And, and then of course, Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics coming up later this summer. It's a, it's a good summer for sports if you are into into what we are into. <laughs> yes. And so Haley, now we've talked about watching sports, doing sports, Ironman builds, all of the above. So I am assuming many of our listeners are probably also doing a lot of their fair share of sports and people are training, people are tired. And just a reminder to people that there is a difference between like training tired and uh, maybe something that needs to be looked at type of tired. Um, and Inside Tracker is a sponsor of the podcast and they can help you figure that out and it is really hard once you're especially now like I haven't been Ironman tired for a long time so a lot of you know in the back of my head I'm like is my iron lower again like do or is this normal tired again right so I do like the ease of the inside tracker blood tests so that you can kind of have that self check in on yourself a few times a year doing it once during the season is always a good idea and I will be doing it between Ironman Coeur d'Alene and Ironman Lake Placid to check on how things have regressed since the spring when I did have low vitamin D and low iron. So, um, yeah. So thank you to Inside Tracker for being a supporter of the podcast. And if you want, is it, it's $25 off? Is that, that's the, I believe that's the discount. Yes. Yes. So, um, head to insidetracker.com forward slash iron women, and you can sign up to get that uh, $25 off promotion and check out how you're doing yourself and just a good little check-in a good time of the season to be doing it. Yes. We all love some objective data. And one other piece of news is that the feisty menopause summit was just announced. It's going to be happening September 24th through 26th. It's a virtual summit and tickets are $169. The speakers are going to include Amanda Thebe, who's the author of the menopocalypse, a book on how to thrive during menopause. Dr. Stacy Sims, 
former, you know, or past podcast guest, as long as, as well as, uh, of course, Celine Yeager, another past Iron Woman podcast guest. So we love uh, our past guests getting all the summit love these days. But uh, if you want to learn more uh, and possibly get purchase a ticket, you can go to feistymenopause.com forward slash summit. And we will include that link in the show notes. Again, those dates are September 24th through 26th. So right after you've watched all your Olympic and Paralympic fun, um, head to the Feisty Menopause Summit and keep your keep the good times rolling. And Haley, I have a mailbag question for you. So our listeners, you guys can send in mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, this one comes in from Joe. So this is a great question. Joe is wondering about optimizing run training for iron distance triathlon. So he switched his training by mileage to running for time during Ironman training. His pace during Ironman training was 730 mile pace, which ended up being too fast. So even though I stuck to my training plan for time, his pace caused mileage to be too high and eventually got injured and burnt out during the peak training week. So running solely for time without considering the mileage ended up impacted impacting the training. So he's kind of coming to us saying he knows he should slow the pace further during training, but is afraid overall running performance will suffer if I persistently run at my iron distance pace, which is actually around eight minutes and 30 seconds per mile. So what are our thoughts on balancing between running for mileage versus running for time? When, if ever, do we think it's appropriate to incorporate faster than Ironman pace runs versus running at an Ironman pace? Oh, you know, I love this. question. I yeah. love this topic because um, I'm very passionate about this. And uh, first, I will I will say that from in my past experience, from you know Ironmans and marathon, I have a lot more experience in Ironman than I do marathon. But the nice thing about when I trained for the marathon uh, in 2019 was that I took out the swim and the bike, and I kind of got to see just what happens when you run, and just fewer variables and. I will tell you that my my marathon pace during that time was 6.15 per mile. And the number of times I went faster than 6.15 was zero. <laughs> um, no, I mean, maybe during a stride. Um, during a stride, maybe, um, maybe if I'm on the treadmill, I would run like slightly faster, so like 6.07 for a few minutes and then go like, you know, kind of do under over. So like go a little bit faster and then a little bit slower kind of just to sort of mix it up. Um, but, uh, 6.15 is about as fast as I could go. And my easy runs would be 10 minutes per mile or slower. I mean, we're talking like, yeah, almost four minutes per mile slower than my marathon pace. What did I do in my marathon? I ran 6.15 per mile for 26.2 miles, ran a 2.43. So, I do not believe that even so. Okay, then you add in Ironman, so you add in a swim and you add in the bike, which adds in more fatigue, less impact, but more you know just more general training time, um, and which also is going to. I mean, I think you need less run volume um, in general, either time or mileage. And for Ironman, I almost exclusively run on time like not mileage. And the reason I do that is because some days I am very, very much struggling. And even I just need to know that my 45 minute run is only going to take 45 minutes. And because if it was a four and a half mile run or something like that, it might take me like an hour and a half and I don't need to be out there for an hour and a half. I don't have that kind of time my day. Cause I mean, 
honestly, there are days when, yeah, a 10-minute mile is very, very hard for me. But does that mean that I can't run, you know, seven-minute pace in a race? No. But I will, I'll tell you for Ironman, my pace, I think my differential between fast and slow is even greater than, or I mean, it's probably about the same. Like, again, I can, I, I, I rarely, rarely run faster than half Ironman pace. I will say I do some like 800s and some, you know, longer efforts at half Ironman pace. So half marathon pace, which again is, is faster than my marathon, but it is not a minute per mile faster than my marathon pace. So I hope this is making sense. But basically what I'm saying, Joe, is that if your marathon pace, your Ironman marathon pace is 8.30, you should probably rarely be running faster than 8.30. And if that's how you naturally run, you probably are not cycling enough. Because I think that if you are cycling and swimming enough, you are going to be tired, just like you are in the race. And uh if you won't want to run faster than yeah. 830s ever you won't be able to yeah and I think honestly if if you need data like if you what you really really need is data like you need some number to look at uh if you've ever considered doing heart rate going by heart rate my guess is that when you're running 730 pace I bet your heart rate is fairly high and if you have watched your heart rate during an Ironman marathon my guess is that it's probably 10 or 15 beats lower than what you are running in your training runs. So it's a totally different energy system that you're working when you're training versus when you're racing. Because during an Ironman marathon, it's actually quite hard to keep your heart rate up. Um, I think that that's versus during a regular run, it's probably harder to keep your heart rate down. So it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, an Ironman marathon is a very, very tired, you're tired going into it. You've been exercising for six or seven hours or more before you go into it. So it's just a different, it's a very, very different kind of run. And I don't, I think that slowing down will actually make you faster. Um, add in some strides, add in some like short fart lick. If, you know, if you really want to feel that, that good feeling of that neuromuscular activation of going fast, but I don't think you should probably be running seven thirties because like you said, you got hurt. Yeah. Haley, I think your explanation is spot on. And, um, I, the only thing I would say to add is that for the comment about being afraid, uh, overall running performance will suffer, uh, you know, taking on an Ironman will not make you a faster 5k runner, right? Like, um, generally speaking, I mean, maybe for someone out there, it it did, um, along the lines. Um, but you know, generally speaking, but I think looking at it as will my run performance suffer is kind of like the wrong mentality to look at it. Like, you're probably, if you do it right, you can make yourself a more durable and a like more strength-based athlete for a period of time, which is a good deposit in the bank to then eventually turn the page and make yourself faster, right, next season or for your next block of training or something like that. So you definitely can use this for what it's worth, you know, in that sense. But, um, you know, it's, I talk to athletes about this too, like you, everyone wants their cake, like to have their cake and eat it too, right? But like, there is a different purpose and like for Ironman racing specifically, you have to always keep in mind of, um, you know, what it is that you're doing. Like it is, it's a long, hard exercise day and, um, you know, it's a very different beast than something that's super fast and super like high end intensity. So, um, Joe, hopefully we, we helped give you an answer there. 
and yeah. thank I you for add, writing in. I want to add one more thing though, because it, it kind of goes to what you were saying earlier, how uh, your hundred mile ride for your birthday was meant to be aerobic and pretty easy. And with the, the thought that it doesn't like cost you that much, that hopefully the next day you're not totally destroyed. And I think that that's something that that's what slowing down allows you to do, Joe, is that you can go run an hour run at your Ironman pace or even slower and feel not tired. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing because you're going to be able to get more volume in. You're going to be able to train the next day and the next day and the next day. Whereas, yes, I totally believe you that you probably could go out and hammer an hour at seven minute pace. And I know you could do it, but then what if you're tired the next day? And it sounds like that was you, you did get tired. And if you slow down a bit, you probably are going to be able to string together more consistent training, which in the long run is usually what will make you faster. And in the summertime, it's a huge consideration. I mean, a lot of our Ironmans are in the summer heat and humidity. You didn't tell us where you lived, but um, I think, you know, it's even harder to go slower, right? When you're up against that, those elements too. But it's definitely something um, everyone can kind of consider during summertime training here that, um, you know, you, you can go slower to get faster in some ways, especially in Ironman, I think. Yeah, I know that was, it is a good question. And if, you know, if we wanted, we, I feel like we could do a whole podcast on that. Like maybe we will some one of these days because it's, it's a weird, it's hard to like convince yourself that you're not some unicorn that needs to do it different than everyone else. But I'm not a unicorn. Joe, you're probably not. Sorry. Keep sending in mailbag questions for us at ironwoman ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, we do have a really great interview for everyone today. We are talking to Molly Hebda, who's a rookie pro, and she, though, has already gotten in two races of the 2021 season. She was 11th at the Texas 70.3 and fourth just a week later at Florida 70.3. So we definitely wanted to talk to Molly, who's an upper, up and coming, uh, knocking on that podium door. And Molly's also a U.S. Naval Academy graduate. So I get to ask her all about that, her military career, more of her background. We'll dig into everything and how that led her to triathlon. We're really excited that we got to talk to her before she does some more racing. We'll tell you all about that. So hear from Molly next. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on-demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash ironwomen and get started. The Iron Women podcast is grateful to Zelio Skincare for their continued support of the podcast. I'm always excited when I start pulling out the Zelio Sun Barrier more and more because that's a sure sign races are around the corner. And I'm going to be happier than ever using my Zilio's Race Relief Cold Therapy Muscle Gel because it means I actually got to do an in-person race this year. You can get your own Zilio Sun Barrier Race Relief Shower Products and Chamois Cream for 15% off with the code IRONWOMEN at teamzilios.com. Hi, Molly. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. 
Hi, Haley. Hi, Alyssa. Thanks so much for having me on. Appreciate it. We are super excited to talk to you as a rookie pro triathlete. You just kicked off your your first season as a professional triathlete in 2021, and you really kind of started with a bang. I think you raced back-to-back 70.3s earlier this year in Texas and Florida in April. So, um, I mean, you wasted no time in getting on multiple start lines, and you were 11th in Texas and then fourth in Florida. So, so tell us a little bit about one racing back to back. Is that something you did as an age grouper or was that something you first did as a pro just to like, if you're going in all in, go all in. Uh, actually, no, I've never raced back to back before in my life. So it was kind of like my first pro race ever. Also my first back to back races ever, but with COVID, having not been able to race at all, I, I wanted to jump at any opportunity that I had to race and I didn't know what was going to happen, but I figured it's worth a shot. I don't know if the rest of the races for the year are going to get canceled again. I might as well just give it a go and see what happens. And did you, do you feel like you changed a lot of your training in the lead up to those like two weeks or was it kind of similar to what you would have expected for doing 170.3 and then you were just going to kind of recover as much as you can and try and do it again that second week. Yeah, we didn't train specifically for the back-to-back races. Uh, I just kept training as normal and this whole year as my first race or my first season racing pro is going to be kind of experimental, see what works, see what what doesn't work. And Florida wasn't even supposed to be a race until very like soon, I didn't even know about it until a couple weeks before because they just added a pro field last minute. Ideally, I really wanted Florida to be the week after so I could have a whole week in between to recover, but can't really pick and choose. Um, So my family lives in Florida too, so I, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to see my parents and have them come watch me race. And for something that was, you know, somewhat experimental and seeing what works, I think it definitely seemed to work pretty well because that second race in Florida, like we said, you ended up fourth. And can you tell us a little bit more about Florida specifically? What do you think made the difference there between the two performances? Was it just the different courses or was it having family there on course? Like what, what do you think helped kind of that, that boost in Florida? So Texas, I'll start with that. Texas was my first ever pro race and I knew the field was totally stacked with super strong women. So I didn't really have any expectations or pressure on myself. I just wanted to go out there and see what happened. And it turned out to be not so great of a day for me in terms of the power I was holding on the bike and I just felt kind of lethargic all day. It was just one of those days where you don't feel like yourself and I was all alone on the bike. I had a couple of girls come past me and I didn't know whether to go with them or to just stay where I was. I was just a little disoriented and so it was a tough race for me. I felt terrible. And so I figured Florida couldn't be any worse. And the week was in between races was really tough for me because I was so tired and sore and a little bit nervous about how I was would feel the next coming Sunday and my coach had given me some really hard short workouts to do to kind of like force my body to get that feeling again and like learn how to be fast again 
which seemed to work because on Sunday, the race of Florida, as soon as I got out of the water and I got on the bike, I was holding like a much better power. I felt like much stronger and much more confident. So this time when the girls came and, and uh, passed me on the bike, I just went with it. And I said, I, I'll just stay with these girls and see what happens. And I was able to stay with them. And I was second or third coming off the bike. And I got passed by uh, a Leslie Smith, really, really fast runner, right off the bat. And the whole rest of the race, I just wanted to hold on to fourth place. And I just struggled through the heat and was pouring water on myself in the aid stations. It was a really, really tough run for me. But I was able to hold on to that fourth place, and I came came away really happy with that result. Does that give you confidence kind of as you look toward the rest of the season and just also give you confidence that you you felt like you had a place in the pro field? Definitely. There's a huge difference between being all alone and in no man's land and then actually in the race with girls around you and like being able to keep up. So it was a huge confidence boost for me. And also it just showed me that I know that I'm a very competitive person And Texas didn't really show, like, I didn't get to showcase that competitiveness because I was all alone and there was no one around. So with Florida, I I guess I kind of proved to myself that the competitive spirit in me will will come through and and I'll I'll work for it in a race when it gets when it gets tough. It's nice to have more than one data point, right? So it's great that you didn't just take one, you know, one performance in Texas, which wasn't terrible. I mean, 11th is still very, very solid, like you said, in that field. But sometimes it's good to get get a little more information. And um, it's a good reminder for all of us if maybe we're coming off of a less than perfect training day or race day. But Molly, we want to back up a little bit because we do want to talk about your background since you are new to the pro fields. A lot of people might not know about you. Um, I think I read that you grew up swimming, but then actually ran in college. So were you kind of a all around athlete as a kid? Yeah, I grew up in a really big family of six kids. So I have a lot of brothers and sisters and we were always outside playing and doing sports and actually running was kind of like my first sport, but not officially. We would go out and play like a lot as kids and I was actually homeschooled for elementary school up till eighth grade. So we would do these like lunch workouts as a family for recess. And uh, I remember I was like seven years old and I bet this grown up at our elementary school track that I would run like 20 laps if he would give me like $5. And I did it and he left, you know, before I finished because it took like two hours. But running was kind of that first like love. I would say, but swimming was my first official sport that I did with other kids. And I was about 10 years old when I joined the the club swim team. So I ended up doing swimming and cross country and track in high school. So I did all three sports. And how'd you decide to run in college? I would have loved to swim in college if I was good enough at swimming, (laughs) but, um, the Division One program that that I wanted to go to, I was I was better suited for running. So, and it's really hard to do both at a Division One collegiate uh, level. So, I ended up sticking with running for for college. 
And so this is the segue where we get to mention that um, a big part of your background is where you ran in college. So Molly, you attended the United States Naval Academy and you graduated from there um, as a Marine in 2012, I believe. So at Navy, you ran track and cross country. You had career best times of 457 in the 1500 meter, 507 in the indoor mile, 958 3K, 1737 5K. Those are both indoor times. So just to give our listeners a little bit of a, a preview of how fast you are. Um, but we want to ask you some more about your time at the academy. At least I definitely do because I spent two years of my undergrad there. Um, so I do like to kind of, you know, I have some shared memories, I think, with you. Um, and you're also from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, so let's first kind of talk about you getting to the Naval Academy. Were you part of a military family? What kind of attracted you to that lifestyle? You know, all of that. It's, it's a, for our listeners who may not know, it's a intensive process to even get accepted. Um, and you have to really, really want to do it, um, to kind of jump through the hoops that are required and to make sure, um, that you can check the boxes and, and be accepted. So, um, you know, how did that begin for you? Was that always your dream? Well, I think first and foremost, the, the terrorist attacks of 9-11 had a huge impact on me along with the rest of the world. I mean, we were all impacted by that and feeling it. And I think that that feeling of wanting to do something to help was the first time the seeds of serving my country were sown in my mind. Other, like before then, I, I never even thought about being in the service when I grew up. But I, I just kind of put that on the back burner and didn't really think about it too much. But when it came time to make the college decision, I wanted to go to the best academic school that I could for the most affordable price. And from being in such a large family of six kids, I knew college was on me. So the Naval Academy was just a, the perfect fit for me because one, I could, I could go there and I could afford to go there and they have a very rigorous academic program that I liked. And also my, my older sister had gotten into the academy first. So I knew that as terrible as it was, she seemed to be enjoying it. And every time she told me not to go there because it was terrible and hard, it just made me want to go even more, so. Oh man, you had the inside, yeah, you had the inside scoop and you still were like, oh, this is for me. <laughs> Did you go, like, I mean, how much older was she than you? She's two years you? older than I am, so she, okay. um, I got to kind of like hear stories about her first year and that's where it's like the toughest on you, it's called plebe year. And uh, my brother ended up going there as well. So three out of six of us went to the Naval Academy, which saved my parents a lot of money. How old were you in 2001? Like seven? I mean, that's a very like, I feel like you were very self-aware seven-year-old. Or do I have my math there right? 11. Oh, you were 11. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you're a little older. But um, I mean, that's just, that's pretty like self-aware to be like 11 years old and being like, I, I want to go into the military because of this event. It definitely seemed to stick with me. Um, so when I was 18, I, I remembered that experience and it, it just kind of moved me to, to make the decision to go into service. And okay, so 
I need a little bit of a brief or primer here. So when when you're at the academy, like how do you decide whether or not you're going to be part of the Marines? Is that is that something you decide while you're at, in school? Yes, you actually get to choose between being the traditional like on a Navy ship officer or going into the Marine Corps or being a pilot. So those those are basically the three options for women at the time. You can also be a Navy SEAL and you can also go explosive ordnance disposal. But um, I know the SEALs are now kind of open for women, but at the time they weren't. So I wanted to be a Navy pilot mostly and that's, I thought it would be cool to fly planes. But then again, my sister became a Marine and I got to see what it was like for her to be a Marine Corps officer. And she was in charge of like 40 people when she was 23 years old. She was in charge of a big logistics platoon. And that appealed to me more than kind of having one or two people in, in a plane and, and flying a plane. And and also the, the commitment to be a pilot is about 10 years because you have to go to school and then you have all that time that you owe. So, you know, when you're 22 years old making the decision, it's it's scary to say, oh, I'm going to do this thing that's going to take up 10 to 12 years of my life. So that kind of made me turn to the Marine Corps as well. So I would say my sister was my big motivation for going into the Marine Corps. Do you think that... Um you may have considered, you know, if the SEALs have, were open to women while you were there? Um, or did you consider explosive ordnance disposal at all? That was going EOD, if I had stayed, would have been kind of like my dream, um, you know, billet to get, I guess. Um, it was just those those darn pull-ups really <laughs> were a major factor in the, my, what, what I figured would be like a clear-cut way I wouldn't be getting that, let alone, you know, a myriad of other things probably by that time. But, um, you know, I guess with your swimming background and things like that, would that have been something that appealed to you? It wasn't really something that appealed to me. My older sister, she, her name's Stephanie. She's, she is currently a Marine Corps um, major, so she's still in the Marine Corps crushing it. But she went the explosive ordnance like training route and she did all of the the PSTs and all the swimming and she was incredibly like athletic like way more I think she could do 20 pull-ups and you know she was a swimmer at the Naval Academy so she was like very suited to that and I it I was so busy running track and studying that I I didn't really consider you know, all of the, the physical demands and, and practicing pull-ups for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. So, and my sister had already taken that route and it didn't appeal to me as much as being a Marine. And I have to ask before we stop talking about the Academy, if you have any good stories or any fun times or any, you know, maybe even not so fun times that you look back on. I know that sometimes I sit around and I like, you know, something will pop into my head. I think I've blocked a lot of those two years out, actually. But every now and then I'm like, oh, my gosh, there was that time I ate like the dozen Krispy Kreme donuts to get out of something or that time I drank a bottle of A1 sauce to get out of doing something else. Like I did, you know, just like special things, I'll say, kind of go on there and happen there. It's a different sort of college, quote, fun. Right. So do you have anything that you like look back on and you're just like, man, this was like a very special 
time or like, you know, a story that that comes to mind? Well, you know, because you went there, but during the first year, you show up in June and you have that entire summer before school starts. That's seven weeks of physical and mental training. And they they basically haze you for seven weeks and yell at you. And every single minute of your day is is scheduled and um, very rigorous. And it starts with physical training at 5 a.m. Um, and I remember at, at physical training, they would put you into groups of ability level for running. And so I was in the fastest group with all the guys and a couple of girls that ended up being teammates of mine in track and cross country. So everyone in, in my class knew that I was a fast runner, but every day I would get in trouble for being the slowest person to get ready. And my roommate would yell at me to tie my shoes like the day before so I wouldn't be so slow. So I was always getting punished for being like the last person and the slowest person. And, you know, some of the punishments were, you know, holding a rifle out in front of you for like 30 minutes and... I, I think now I look back like, okay, that was kind of funny. Like I was this fast runner that couldn't, couldn't even show up on time for, for lunch. It's those uniform changes and like the bed making, you have to be so fast at those. And that was actually where I did really well. <laughs> well, I can still like make a bed really fast if I have to. And like changing clothes, I'm actually, I liken it to like transitions in triathlon, right? Like it's something, yeah, that I... I enjoyed those like parts of it, but then I was, yeah, I guess my speed came into play there and not so much um, if I had gone out for track or something like that. <laughs> I'm really like interested in, okay, because obviously I'm very much just like hearing about this, but like Alyssa's the talking about like just eating tons of calories and then Molly's talking about these like fast transitions and then now you both kind of do that as part of your jobs <laughs> so what is this it, it definitely takes a certain special kind of person to to want to go to the naval academy in the first place so I know and I maybe it does make for a good triathlete but um anyway but tell us about post-graduation and life as a marine where were you stationed yeah, so after the Naval Academy, all the Marine Corps officers go to six months of the basic school, which is an introductory course to military operations. And you learn how to lead platoons and write orders and all of the basic skills like shooting a rifle and pistol and land navigation. And it's at that school that the Marine Corps tells you what your job is going to be and they tell you where you're going to go. So I was told that I would be a logistics officer and I would go to Okinawa, Japan, and so that's what I did. And I, uh, I spent the next two years in, in Japan serving as a, a logistics officer in Okinawa. And so Molly, that brings us up to like semi-recent times, but we still haven't gotten to where you found triathlon, I don't think. So can you tell us about how you discovered that sport? Was it in, was it in Japan? Yeah, it was. Uh, so I started training like a triathlete in Japan. I had done a few races before, just like little sprints to, to help train for cross country and track in college, but the triathlon community in Okinawa was just totally incredible. They had master swim practices, they had bike rides on the weekends, 
And so I would get up at 4.30 in the morning to drive to the base that had the pool for 5 a.m. swim practice, and I would swim with the master's group there, and then I would bike or run at lunch just for fun, I guess, and I would join in on the open water swims that they had on the weekends and really started uh, riding a bike for the first time ever when I was in Japan. And I actually did my first half Ironman race when I was stationed over there in 2014. I did a 70.3 Taiwan. So I, I flew to Taiwan all by myself, took that long train ride from Taipei all the way down, hours to the, to the southern tip of Taiwan and, and raced uh, a full, well, a real like half Ironman race for the first time ever. I haven't taken that train ride. I have taken the little tiny flight <laughs> that goes from, um, you know, coast to coast basically. And I'm not sure I, which is, yeah, less like daunting with the long train ride or a scary, like short flight. <laughs> I met so many amazing people on that train ride. So it, it was is cool. I'm, I actually had a good friend whose husband was stationed in Okinawa and I went and visited and I'm actually like trying to do the math here on like the years because I feel like we almost, I almost would have overlapped and I also went to the master's swim practices <laughs> while I was there. But it was great. Good. They so great, hard. Yes. Yeah, Very it was hard. hard. Yeah. And great <laughs> pools. And I did, um, I did do a couple rides and runs with, um, a few of the Marines. And the only thing was like, they had like looked me up online and they were like, this is what you held on the bike in Kona. And so that's what we're going to do today. And I was like, oh my goodness, I am not in that kind of shape right now. I don't just like go out and go that fast for just like my average ride. I was like, and then the run, for some reason, they thought I was much, much, much faster than I ever ran in Kona. <laughs> but They just went all out, but it was a cool, there was a very cool culture there for sure. But, um, well, Molly, you you mentioned that first half Ironman in Taiwan, and in those first five years uh, that you raced as an age grouper, you had a ton of success. I think you were three-time consecutive Armed Forces National Champion. You had a lot of age group wins, overall amateur wins. So what made you decide to go into the professional ranks? Yeah, so I, I started after, after that Taiwan race, the Marine Corps triathlon team kind of found out about me and they asked me to be like on the triathlon team for the Marine Corps. So I did a lot of the races that uh, the Armed Forces National Championship races. And I got to you travel all over the ro world racing for the military, which was very, very cool experience. And I recently transitioned out of the Marine Corps to be a Marine Corps reservist. And so there's a lot more free time on my hands to train. And I got linked up with uh, my coach in San Diego with the, the Carrie Lester and Scott DeFilippis train out there in, in San Diego. So I got linked up with them and started training with them. And they're the ones who told me that I had the ability to be a professional if I wanted to. So I waited two years to become a professional. You know, I qualified a, a years ago, got my pro card, but I didn't feel ready to race. And I was very reluctant to move up into the ranks until I felt like I could hang on, 
you know, to at least some of the people. So I was very patient, just kept training, put my head down for, for two years. And when I started winning regularly and winning with enough like time between the next person behind me, I thought, okay, it's time to move up and I'm only going to improve myself by racing in the bigger leagues. And Molly, you're on the start list for Des Moines 70.3, which is coming up this weekend. So I guess I should ask first, are you racing this weekend? And then, um, you know, if yes, what has training looked like since that double back in April? Yes, I am racing next weekend. I'm actually going to do another back-to-back because, you know, it went so well for me last time. So I'm going to head to Des Moines, Iowa in a few days. For the past month, I've been in Park City, Utah, training with my coach and, and Carrie Lester and just getting a little bit of altitude training in, which I've never done before. So I have no idea how I'm going to feel when I go back to sea level. I've never experienced kind of an altitude training camp, but we've been riding all the most beautiful roads up here in Park City and running on some really great trails. And it's just been a very fun and productive few months of training. And the double is with Rev3 Williamsburg or Ironman Coeur d'Alene? Oh, definitely not an iron, full Ironman. <laughs> not I mean, ready for that curious. yet. <laughs> I, I'm not going to put anything by you, but is that is it Williamsburg? Will that be the second race? Yes, it's going to be the Rev3 race in Williamsburg. Um, I have a family okay. in Norfolk, Virginia, so I, I love to, to tack on like family visits to races whenever I can. And Molly, we, we think you have a twin sister who might also be in the Navy and also does triathlon is also fast. So what, what's up going on with the Hebda twins? Are, are you and I don't know if she's actually, if that's, that might be your married last name. I just oh, yeah. realized that <laughs> no, when I read it, not. but, oh, okay. So yeah. what's going on, you know, is our, are we going to see like a powerhouse there? Like the, between the two of you, where we're like trying to tell you apart out on the course someday. I do have an identical twin sister who does triathlon, and in 2018, we raced against each other in the Armed Forces Championship. She was on the Navy team, and I was on the Marine Corps team, and so we kind of went head-to-head, like Marine versus Navy, and ended up 1-2. I won, so that was that was a good, good representation for the Marine Corps, but um, she is a... Uh, She's trying to train for an Ironman, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, She has like a very intense job as a uh, physician's assistant, and her husband just graduated from Wharton, so they're moving to Seattle, and she just got a new job. So she's very incredible because she'll work a 12-hour day and somehow still figure out how to get in her training sessions. So I have no doubt that if she wants to race at the next level and you know, she focuses on that. She could, if she wanted to. Well, we won't put any added pressure on her then for that. She does have a lot going on, it sounds, but it is a, a cool story that you both are, um, yeah, as, as talented as you are. So Molly, as we, we wrap up, we know you have the double on tap coming up here. Um, do you know anything about your season after that? Um, or are you waiting to see what happens in these next two weeks? That's a great question. I, I haven't really thought about it 
in August, I have to go in and do my Marine Corps duties because I, I still am a Marine Corps reservist. And so I'm looking to race after August is over. So I might do 70.3 Augusta in Georgia on September 26th. I might, I hope that they add a pro field to Oceanside. That would be fantastic. I would love to race that. Um, but we'll just see what comes up. And I would like to get a lot of racing in in the fall if I can. Yes, all those races currently like TBD, right? But hopefully things, you know, keeping our fingers crossed that they uh, they all pan out and things happen, you know, like there's a lot of racing options in the fall. But thank you so much, Molly, for telling us a little bit more about you and best of luck to you this weekend in Des Moines. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on this this awesome podcast. The Iron Women Podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. Alyssa, I kind of admit that sitting here, I loved hearing you and Molly geek out a little bit on your Naval Academy stories, but I, I, I don't think I've ever heard this A1 story. Can you share? Are you like, or just like the food stories? I'm just very still stuck on this. Like why you had to like eat weird things to get out of things at the Naval Academy. I just didn't realize that was a thing. As I was saying it out loud, Haley, I realized I was like, oh, this is weird that I must have like always erred on the side of like, I'll eat something weird to get out of something like <laughs> must have been my go to knowing that I had a pretty strong stomach. But, um, you know, when you are a plebe at the Naval Academy, you basically like, quote, get to do like all of these extra things and upperclassmen, you know, they can't haze you um anymore right so the hazing that does happen it takes very different forms right and it's um then then maybe like what people traditionally would think of would happen at a military academy but so things are a little bit lighter at least when i went there and um you know but you still just have to do like they can ask you to go not really do like a chore but they can have you just do certain things that are just kind of like a pain and a time suck to let just like make you stay busy essentially is like the point of it and you know kind of drill home like listening to your chain of command and blah blah, blah. you just have to do a lot of things you don't want to do but sometimes they'll give you an out and sometimes when they like find some like they realize something they like create the situation to happen so along the line one of the upperclassmen on my in my squad knew that I found out that I hated mayonnaise and I really hate mayonnaise, right? Like I just, I don't like to touch the jar, like kind of hate towards mayonnaise, right? And so, and so they knew this about me. And so I don't, I'm not sure even, I still don't remember what it was I got out of, but um, basically to get out of something, I had to either eat a spoonful of mayonnaise, like one spoonful. But I mean, again, I don't like to touch the jar or drink the bottle of A1 sauce. And it was like a normal size. Like nowadays they have like these huge family-sized A1 sauce bottles or whatever. like barbecue sauce, right? Steak sauce. Steak yeah. sauce, okay. Like, <laughs> uh, and I should also say, as much as I hated mayonnaise to, at this this particular day, I loved A1 sauce, Haley. Like I, 
Okay, okay. <laughs> Not as much as maybe my Funfetti love, but I love day one sauce, right? So um, it came down to that choice, and I was like, this is like a no-brainer. I literally, I wouldn't have been able to eat this food. Like, it just causes a gag reef. Like, I couldn't have done that task. So I had to go with the A1 sauce. And Haley, I drank the bottle of A1 sauce, and I just had to, like, chug it. And I, to this day, no longer like A1 sauce. <gasps> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> oh. It gives me, yeah, it, like, makes my stomach feel really, there's a lot of, like, something, maybe, Sugar? like, vinegar or something, or <laughs> probably that, too. But, like, the acid situation in my stomach <sighs> after the A1 sauce was really, and I just, I can't, I, you know, like, I don't know. I haven't tried really recently, I guess, to have A1 sauce. Maybe I'll try again soon. But, um, but I, the good news is, is that I did it, and I didn't get, like, sick or anything. It just, like, didn't make me feel good. Um, and I, yeah, I got out of what, and people, people looked impressed, which at the Naval Academy is a very important thing if they like seem impressed I by what I never knew do. all these secrets, <laughs> the secrets of the U.S. Naval Academy. But when everyone's stuck there all the time, I mean, you just have young kids like dreaming up things to keep busy. So a lot of, a lot of fun things happen. Um, a lot of uniform races and a lot of bed making, which, uh. Molly, it sounds like it wasn't wasn't her favorite part of the academy to do that stuff. Well, like you said, both of you are, are still using those academy skills well into your adult life. So, um, you know, when you're out on the course, if you if you if you like need calories so bad, we know that Alyssa can get it down. Um, whatever, <laughs> except unless it's mayonnaise. But um, but yeah, fun, funny. I think we're still open our or the whatever this icing. We still need that icing. But Alyssa, it was fun. It was fun hearing that story. It was great talking to Molly earlier. I'm excited to track Des Moines this weekend as I also follow the U.S. Olympic swimming trials. I follow the U.S. Olympic track and field trials. Um, I'm, I mean, there's so much happening and it's so much fun. So, um, and, and I hope your birthday celebrations continue. You know, I feel like one day isn't enough. Take the whole week. You have my permission. Well, I might, I will say that one of the good things about your birthday happening is that it's like content, right? Like my brain is so brain dead that it's so hard to think of anything to post on Instagram for people and birthday, man, I'm going to drag this sucker out as long as I can. So don't be surprised if you guys (laughs) see a few more birthday posts this week. Well, Alyssa, keep celebrating, and I will talk to you next week. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast, hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.